Good morning, Bethel. Is everybody in the Christmas spirit yet? You're not there yet. Well, we're getting we're getting pretty close. So if you're if you're not there yet, you better get there. You're gonna miss it. So uh, yes, we are in week three of our series on the life of Christ, and the first part of this series is gonna this series is gonna take us from now up until Easter. And we're looking at the birth of Christ. Of course, it's the Christmas season, and we've looked at two individuals so far. First week, we looked at Matthew and then Zechariah last week. And today is going to flow right next, you know, the next person in the story that in Luke chapter 1 is someone I think all of you who are, I think all of you are familiar with, and that is the mother of Jesus, Mary. And today's passage is one of my favorite passages in all of the New Testament. You're going to see why today. You know, as we look at this this passage, one of the words that really stands out in this passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 1 is the word blessed. And blessed gets thrown around a lot in Christian circles. A lot of times it means you're rich in something. You you hear the word, you know, the phrase, so-and-so is blessed. You, know, you ask some Christians how they are doing, and they will respond with, oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. You, know, you, you hear that phrase sometimes. Sometimes it means things are really going well for you, you know, some, almost like a, uh, uh, I'm lucky. You know, sometimes people use it in that sense. You know, some people look at it as a, a, a heaping, helping a blessing is coming your way. By that, they mean everything is about to go your way. It's a Christian version of, you know, may the odds be ever in your favor, you know, type of thing. That's the way some people look at it. So what is exactly does blessed or favored mean? How do you know you're walking in the blessing and favor of God? The phrase blessed and highly favored comes from a statement Gabriel said to Mary when he told her that she was pregnant with the Messiah. He said, Mary, you are blessed and highly favored among women. And when Elizabeth saw Mary, she used the word blessed three times. If you remember our story last week, Zachariah, who was, you know, he and Elizabeth were very advanced in age and had never been blessed with a child. And he was told that he would have a, he and Elizabeth would have a child and he would be named John, John the Baptist, who was the cousin of Jesus. You see, Elizabeth and Mary were, were cousins. And so the, this phrase, blessed and highly favored, comes from the, the, from the angel Gabriel. Mary composes a song in Luke chapter 1, which she calls herself blessed. And she says boldly, that's how the generations will remember her. In the verse 48, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. So if, if I were to list out things that Christian people are most confused about when it comes to Christianity, I would put this phrase or this word that I am blessed as maybe one of the top five things that they're confused about. If you ever get to the real meaning of this, understanding of the word blessed, you'll capture the true heart of the gospel message. So let's read Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, 
from now all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and his holy name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. So as we walk through this passage this morning, I really have four questions that I want you to think about in relation to this passage. Number one, would you have thought of Mary as blessed? Now, before you answer that question, the first thing that pops in your mind, she's the mother of Jesus. Of course she is blessed. Let me kind of paint a little picture here for you of the time that Mary found herself in. You know, at the point that these statements were made, Mary's life was basically ruined. Her reputation was ruined. A teenage girl out of wedlock in that day, in that culture, was a very serious scandal. Add to the fact that she was engaged to another guy and they lived apart, people would have known that the baby wasn't his, and so she was considered a loose girl and someone who betrayed her fiancé. And even to top it all off, the angel Gabriel didn't even tell Joseph about this until several months later, and this stained reputation stayed with her in the eyes of many for the rest of her life. Here's something you need to think about as you think about this question. How would you have thought of, would you have thought of Mary as blessed? Think about this. This perception that she now carries with her in her community because she is pregnant with child as a young probably around the age of 17, 18 years old when the the angel Gabriel came to her. God did this to her. Think about that for just a moment. Let that sit in. He could have done it another way. He chose to do it this way. Would you consider the situation that she finds her in as basically an outcast in her community? Would you consider that blessed and highly favored. She was very poor. Indication, she was the poorest of the poor. Nazareth was a very poor little, t- little town. You know, even the, the phrase uh, that we find in Scripture, could anything good come out of Nazareth? It was looked down upon. Scripture shows you that. When they offered their sacrifice at, for Jesus' birth in the temple, they couldn't afford to offer the lamb which the law required. So there was a provision in the law for poor people to sacrifice turtle doves. She was not just poor. She was the poorest of the poor. And then there's just the difficulty of of having the child. Scholars say she would have been at the oldest 17 or 18, and an angel shows us and tells her, you're going to have a child. And by the way, he's going to be the Messiah. That's all. Now, those of you out here who have had a child, you know the difficulties of pregnancy. Imagine the thought of, of a young girl being saddled with the thought of, I'm giving birth to the Messiah. It's almost like 
the angel dropped it and said, that's all. You figure it out. Oh, and by the way, I'm not telling anybody else about this, not even Joseph, your fiance, at least for, not for a little while. Good luck. Can you imagine having that weight dropped upon you? You, you can't explain it to anyone. You know, we, we think about the stresses that, you know, teenagers deal with today, you know, the struggles of, you know, school and maybe working a job or, you know, friends. That pales into comparison of what the news that the angel just shared with Mary. The angel came, the baby is God's, there's no believable explanation. And to be honest, if you were looking at Mary based on the external situation of where she found herself at this point in the story, would she be considered blessed by today's standards? No, not at all. So the second question we're going to look at here is, what is the nature of her blessing? Notice how much she speaks about God in the first person in that passage we just read. God, my Savior, verse 46. He looked on me, verse 48. I was hungry, you fed me, verse 53. I was lowly, you exalted me, verse 52. But nothing has changed her circumstances. So she's not rejoicing in what God has given to her, but what God has become to her in Christ. At this point, Christ in her is the only exaltation she has. The baby in her womb is her only fullness, her sustenance, her salvation. He is the treasure. He alone is the blessing. You see, some, the problem with so many preachers and pastors, especially the TV ones that we'll call like prosperity gospel, is it prioritizes the earthly blessings over God. God is like a pinata, and faith is the whacking stick. Earthly prosperity, power, privilege, and comfort are the candy from which comes forth from the pinata. And Mary's song shows us that God himself, the presence, the relationship with God, is the candy in the pinata. He is the great reward. The greatest blessing God could ever give is his presence. So we see the presence of God is one of the reasons why she is blessed. We also see it's the promise. In Christ, God was fulfilling the promise he gave to Abraham and his descendants many years before to bless him and to make him a blessing to all of the nations of the earth. It's been over 2,000 years since that promise. And I'm sure many had concluded that those promise, that promise that God gave Abraham was no longer valid if he even existed at all, when the angel showed up to Mary, the people, the Israel, the people of Israel had not heard from God in over 400 years. God had been silent. Yet God had not forgotten. In all things, he was working to bring forth Jesus, which was a greater blessing than any of them could have ever dreamed of. So let me go back to the question I posed at the beginning. Why did God choose to do it this way? He didn't have to. Why did he do it this way? It was not 
just that God took a bad situation and worked in it. God created the bad situation. He could have appeared to Joseph. He could have appeared to Mary's inner circle. He could have told Gabriel, go down and tell Mary's family and her closest friends so they kind of know what's going on. But he chose not to. Why? Why? I think when we look at it, we could say it's because he was allowing Mary to taste a little bit of the cross. Because that is how he will bring salvation into the world. You see, God saved the world not through Jesus' exaltation. God saved the world through Jesus' humiliation on the cross. God said that he will bring salvation to the world in part through suffering. Being blessed and highly favored does not mean living a life without suffering and bad situations. It means having the presence and the promises of God in those situations. It means having a life in which God is committed to confirming more toward the image of Jesus in you and bringing others to know Jesus through you. Do you understand that the blessing is knowing God and allowing God to work in you? That is blessed. That is the blessing. If God, do you know what it means that if God gives me prosperity, I'm going to use that earthly prosperity so others can know about the wonderful Jesus that we serve. Let me give a couple of clarifications on this point before we move on. And I'm not, number one, I'm not saying that God causes all kinds of suffering. Here he is directly involved and many of you are suffering and God is not behind it in the same way as this story. Some of you are suffering as a result of your own sinful actions which create consequences, but God is still directing all of that sovereignly for his good. I'm not saying that God never gives tokens of goodness on earth. It says the psalmist in Psalm 27, I know that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We should take these tokens of goodness with thanksgiving, but that we should also not be surprised sometimes when he appoints us a cross as a way of bringing salvation to others, just like he brought salvation to us. And I realize this is not popular. I realize that it is is much more popular for me to stand up here and say, follow God, and you'll receive wealth, you'll receive health, you'll receive happiness, you'll receive the, the closest parking spot to the mall when you go Christmas shopping. Follow God because he has huge blessings coming your way, but friend, that is not what the Bible says. You have a choice of whether you're going to believe the actual gospel or believe the gospel made up by money-hungry American pastors who are trying to exalt the blessings of God over God himself. Third question, what was the basis of her blessing? What was the basis of her blessing? What you should notice in this song is that there is very little about Mary. Only a couple of lines. The rest is about God, his character, his presence, his promises. There is nothing in this song that Mary wrote that we could attribute to her personal worthiness. 
Some believe that Mary was sinless, and that is completely opposite to the spirit of this song. She says, God is my Savior. She sees herself as guilty, unworthy, empty, hungry, and weak, in need of mercy, in need of help, in need of strength that only a Savior could provide. She was not sinless. It says in verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord. Mary was not amazing. Her Jesus was. So her soul magnifies him, not herself. And for you to idolize her is to miss the point of her song. Your life can only magnify one thing. The gospel is you were sinful and so God saved you. You were weak and so God helped you. You were dead, so God went into the grave and resurrected so he could be your life, your wisdom, and your power. He could be all of it so that all glory could go to him and no human being, no one else deserves the magnification that you can give. Jesus alone. It is a betrayal of the gospel itself when you don't learn from Mary's life that her point is not about Mary, but it is about God. So what was the basis of her blessing? It was, it was nothing about her, but about God. Number four, are you living as one blessed and highly favored? Notice this in Mary's song. Those whom you would naturally think of are blessed or not. She says in verse 51, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. What if God ordained failure in your life to give you a much greater blessing? That's, that's a tough one to think on and chew on for a minute. Isn't it true that often your failures and disappointments, you learn more about God than anything else? Your failures and your disappointments pull you into a greater focus and a greater relationship with our Savior. What do you rejoice in in life? Jesus told his disciples, Rejoice not that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, Rejoice that you know me. Don't rejoice in your successes. Rejoice that you know me. And if I take the former from you, you can still have joy that we sing about at Christmas. Why? Because you know me. What do you magnify? Here's how you know. What do you rejoice in? Look at Mary's, verse 46 from Mary. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in what? God, my Savior. Those two statements are connected. Whatever you magnify, that's what you rejoice in. What has to be true in your life for you to rejoice. When you look into the future, what has to be there for you to have joy? Because that is what you magnify. 
I've told you before that joy functions like a smoke alarm in your heart. Joy or the absence of joy shows the true state of your heart. If you're a person this morning who is not joyful, it's showing that your heart is magnifying something else besides God. So let me get a little, push a, little, a few buttons here this morning and make it a little bit more practical. Maybe senior adults sitting here this morning. Maybe you don't give two cents about the gospel, but you sure know how you feel when the grandkids come over and you get to spend time with those new grandkids. Or you have a stock that goes on a run that you're able to cash out on. Maybe men who are sitting here in church are absolutely unmoved by the songs and the teaching of God's word this morning. You're only here because your wife demands it. But this afternoon, you will leap off the couch when your football team scores a touchdown. Maybe the young girls, young women in here who rarely read their Bible are excited scrolling through Instagram or TikTok who will look for hours online that clothes they can't afford but do not spend time in prayer talking to God or giving the all-surpassing glory who has given himself to us through Christ. If you don't have joy right now, it's likely that the source of your joy has moved from God to something far lesser. Here's Mary in the worst possible circumstances you could find for a young girl in first century Israel. Giving praise and expressing her joy. She probably reflected back on Habakkuk chapter 3. She probably knew this passage from heart. It says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. What the prophet is saying here is even though all the successes and wealth and money in life may be God, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will find my joy in God, my Savior. You can say in Christ, I can lose all that I have because in Christ I have all that I need. What you rejoice in is what you magnify with your life. Are you blessed and highly favored this weekend? God's presence and God's promises are with you. And that is all that you need this Christmas season, regardless 
of the external forces around you. As I read through this passage and studied this message this week, man, I needed to hear this. Because when you look around at the world around us and you get caught up in the busyness of the Christmas season, man, it can be discouraging sometimes. It's amazing how like the most joyous time of the year can be such a struggle sometimes. And it's a reminder for all of us that what we magnify is what we rejoice in. As we get ready to sing this song, may we sing it from the bottom of our hearts. May our words magnify our Lord today. And may our lives as we leave this week, may our lives magnify him and we rejoice in God our Savior. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can come and worship your holy name. That we can lift up your name, magnify your name in song. May we leave this place this week and magnify your name in word and deed. And rejoice. Find our joy in you alone. No matter how awful the circumstances in life may be, they cannot steal our joy because our joy is firmly secured in Christ. Thank you so much, God, for sending Jesus to this earth as a babe in a manger to live the perfect life that we should have lived die the death that we should have died and providing salvation for us. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.